If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is at the last day, the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And we've seen in chapter 7 that he cried out with a loud voice to people that if they were thirsty, that to come for him, come to him, and he would be... uh, he would be what would satisfy their souls. And earlier in chapter 8, he, sp- he stands up and says in the same way, uh, this is in, uh, in verse 12, Jesus spake unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So he's speaking to the massive crowds that are there, he has six months before the, before the cross, and he is now pouring into his disciples. And this is the last of his great sermons that he's going to preach. And this sermon is a very disturbing sermon. It's distressing. Um, it's effective. People will come to the Lord in this sermon. But in terms of a sermon, you can't imagine that anyone would like it because what he's really doing is he's telling people In what way can you die in your sins? How is it possible if you really want to die in your sins, how would you do it? You see that if he said, those who follow me shall not walk in darkness, what that implies, if you decide not to follow me, you will remain in darkness because you are already in darkness. You will not have the light of life. You will not have the light that leads to life and not the light that is life to you. You will only have what you already have, and that's offense before God. And that is a, that's a disturbing, troubling thing. This is from Matthew chapter 6. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye is evil, then thy whole body is full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great that darkness so he's talking to a group of people that are all mixed, and there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of people surrounding him, um, just teeming crowds, and among them are his adversaries. These are the people who absolutely hate him and want him to go away. And what we'll see is the very first thing out of his mouth in this passage is, I am going to go my way. I will give you what you want. You want me out of your hair, I will go. I will go my way. Um, What he is really doing, though, is a horrible, horrible judgment. For Jesus to be removed is necessary. the, The Spirit will not come unless he is glorified. Even his heartbroken disciples have to realize that he must go away. It's important that he, he must needs go away, he says later in King James. But in here, it's almost a threat. I, I will go away. I will go my way. This is, this is uh, verse 21. Then says Jesus again to them, I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. There is a limited time that the gospel is offered. 
And Jesus, even to his own disciples, said, I, you walk in the light while the light is available. I am the light of the world, and while the light is there, you walk in that light. You bask in that light. Uh, that, that there will be a time that that will be removed. It's interesting that the gospel is not removed. The gospel is now placed upon his church, to, that you are the light of the world, Jesus says. So the, not that we replace Jesus as the light of the world, but that the, the same gospel that he offers in himself, we offer. That we have a ministry of reconciliation to, to our neighbors, to our families, to our, to, our, uh, to our colleagues, to the people that we know and that we live around. Uh, that to, to point people back to the, to the true light of God. You have to remember Jesus in the same speech in chapter 7, this very same hour, uh, when he, he, he said, just a little while and I'm going to go away and you will seek me and not find me. For whether I am, you cannot come. There is, a, there is a threat here. There is a judgment here that these people are looking for him. They're, they're looking for him, but they're not looking for him that they may come to him. They're looking for him that they might destroy him. They couldn't wait for him to come to the feast so that they could nab him. And they've tried on multiple occasions over the last... Uh, several hours to arrest him and they cannot do it because his time is yet is not yet come so the idea that god would give a judgment by giving people what they want is an amazing concept that we're begging god to give us something and jesus in judgment will give us the very thing that we're asking for makes you realize that god knows more than we know and that that uh, sometimes the answer no is the best thing that possibly that God could possibly do for us. And sometimes the answer yes is proof that he has departed from us. And we'll see that in this case. You see, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And it was after Pharaoh hardened his own heart that God in his sovereignty and in his judgment upon Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. That's a very interesting dynamic that God is not passive. God does not just observe things. God is a participant. And in, in Exodus 9, it says, this is to, uh, to Moses. He says, in very deed, for this cause I have raised thee up, talking to Pharaoh, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared through all the earth. That God in his judging him, now, Pharaoh hardened his heart, would not relent, would not uh, let the, the children of Israel go, even after boils appeared on the royal family, and you had big pussy boils on all of the parts of your body, and everybody was just couldn't even sit down for the pain. And he, instead of saying, God is great, instead hardened his heart and would not let them go no matter what happened and nearly destroyed everything in the country as one plague came upon, the next plague came upon, and the next plague came upon. And God then hardened his heart as a judgment of his own hardening. And in doing that, brought great glory to himself, because I raised thee up for to show in thee my power. Now that's a terrifying thought, that God would have glory in my life by destroying me. That is a terrifying prospect that the only way that God, God will receive glory from me. He will, he will receive glory from me. He will either receive glory as his just 
uh, punishment comes upon me, as his verdict falls, and it's carried out for eternity, that will bring him glory. He is great in power. And no, no one that, he, that will foul his presence again. So he will receive glory if I, if I depart from him that way. But if, if I come to him and ask for mercy, then in showing me mercy, he brings great glory to himself. He brings great honor and great glory to his son by allowing his son to be your savior. It is a great honor for God to save you if you run to Jesus. That is an amazing thing that God would be honored by showing mercy to me, except that it honors his son. It brings his son higher in the, in the view of the world, and that's the way it should be. He should be viewed. So Jesus saying, I'm going to depart. I will go my way. I will give you what you want. There will be a time that you will look for me and you will not find me. And my goodness, that as I was simply just read through that, I, I thought, where have I just read that? I've just read that. And realized that we, when we went through the Proverbs, that was from chapter 1. That's wisdom shouting in the streets. And Miss Jill read that. And wisdom shouting in the streets, but because you would not listen to me, because you wanted no, none of my advice, none of my counsel, you will seek for me, and you will seek for me early, and you will not find me. And I will laugh at I will, I will laugh at your anguish when you, with all of your heart, want to find me. That they beat on the outside of the ark of safety. For a hundred years, the door stood open with people begged to come in. And then as the ground gave way under them, they beat on the outside of the door, wanting in, but they would not open to them. There is a time that the gospel ends. And that is why that while we have breath in our lungs, while there, while, there is, while there is light in the sky, you will preach to your neighbors till you die. That, that God said you may be reconciled with him. That he reconciled me for whatever reason of his own. And for that reason, you can reach out with total assurance that God will accept people who come in faith to him. This is, this is a terrifying thought. This is from the book of Amos. This is chapter 8 in Amos. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. That God will punish us by removing himself from us so that we, don't, we get what we want. We don't care about him. We don't want his gospel. The churches of America have long since totally went away from the gospel because it's not popular. No one wants to know that they have offended God. Jesus said, the world hates me because I, te I testify against it, that their works are evil. Nobody wants to hear that. You go to, the, you go to the dark when you want to hide your sins. You go to the light only when you are, are satisfied with what Jesus has done for you by taking your sins away. It is the living that worship Jesus on Sundays. It's the living who come together and encourage one another and, and stir up love and good works to each other, that encourage each other to keep going. It is the living, not the dead. The dead do not want to hear it. The gospel has never been popular. Jesus preaches to thousands, and no one wants him. 
And you will see that either one of two things has to happen. Either people in chapter 6 leave Jesus, or here in chapter 8, Jesus says, I myself, myself will go away from you. In either way, it's the very worst possible thing. These people had no idea that the preaching of the gospel, even right now as Jesus was preaching the gospel to them, and all they were doing was trying to trap him and arrest him, that even while he was speaking, there was hope alive, that that was the hope. This is Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul went to the Corinthians. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That there is a time that the gospel goes out and that the gospel is nothing to be sneered at, nothing to be mocked. The gospel, as soft as it is, you go Naaman and you plunge yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And that is all. And Naaman was like, are there not better rivers in Damascus that I would have to go into a mud hole like the Jordan? But according to the word of the Lord, he put himself under the waters, and on the seventh time he came up and his skin was like a baby. That's what it said. This is Isaiah 49. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation I have helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth and cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. The idea that the the day of salvation, that there's an acceptable time and that the day of salvation is what I will give. And he's speaking to the Messiah here. This is is God speaking to Jesus Christ. I've given you as a covenant to the people that they might inherit the desolate heritages. Now Paul takes that verse in, in Corinthians 6 and this is what he uses it. He said, for he saith, I have heard thee in a a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul simply said, this is the day of salvation because Christ has died on the cross. Because that's true. Because your heart has not stopped beating, there is grace for you. There is grace right now, no matter how wicked you are. No matter your sins, no matter your history, nothing in your heart can defy the fact that Jesus died for men. Jesus the man died for men. Jesus the perfect died for us. Jesus the impeccable died for sinners. And because of that, today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable time. And Jesus said, I will go my way. I'll give you what you want. There will be a time and you're not going to see me. You're going to look for me and you cannot come where I am. If the gospel offer is rescinded, if the gospel offer is brought back to where it can't be heard, it can't be found, it can't be sought, it can't be understood, it can't be listened to, it can't be considered, then there is nothing for men but to die in their sin. And that is what Jesus said. This is verse 21. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sin. Whether I go, you cannot come. <clears throat> now we're going to see that in, in verse 21, 
he said you'll die in your sins. And in verse 24, you'll die in your sins. There's actually a different word here. The, the word in 21 is singular. You will die in your sin. That's what it says. King James uses sins for both. But the first one is singular and the second one is plural. So in 21, it says you will die in your sin. In 24, it says you will die in your sins. And I think that's interesting. I want to, I want to park there for just a minute. What does it mean to die in my sin? To die in my sin. Sin is overarching. Sin is everything that's about me. Sin is comprehensive. There's nothing, there's no part of me that sin does not completely coat. It's, it's the consequences of a life that's rejected Jesus Christ. To die in my sin means that me and God are not right, that there's a separation there, that I'm not rescued, that I'm not saved, that I'm on my own, that I only have my good works to, to con- commend me, that there's nothing else for me except the things that I think that I've done that are good, that should be looked at. But all I have is what I've done. It, there is nothing for me to, be, to die in my sin means that it's separation. I'm separated from the God who would sh- inter- interpose himself in my place and give me life when I should have death, to remove me from the kingdom of darkness and place me into the kingdom of light. That is the hope of the gospel. To die in my sin means that I have nothing but what I already had, and that was condemnation. You were already condemned. He that believes in the Son of God hath life. He that does not believe hath not life. He has already been condemned because he has not believed in the, in the Son of God. So when it says in verse 24, I said, therefore, to you, you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Then suddenly now sins are plural. I had a, I had a, um, a student the other day point at another student and said, what do you think of homosexuality, Mr. B? And I just, I just said, uh, I, I know that people have the right to do as they please. That's what I said. Then they said, do you think it's a sin? And I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a sin. But then I said, but that's a sin you don't practice, is it? That's what I said. It's a sin you don't practice, isn't it? And they looked at me, two boys, and they were like, no. And I said, you practice different sins, don't you? Your sins won't send you to hell. But you will die in hell for your sins. Your sin will send you to hell. Your sin of unbelief. Your sin of not of looking at what Jesus has provided you with and rejecting that will send you to hell. But once in hell, every one of your sins will need to be paid for. And those sins will, are all each individually infinite because each individual sin, no matter what they were, are, is an offense against God's dignity and it's an infinite crime against an infinite person. And you will infinitely pay for them. And I said that in public school in West Virginia because they asked. You ask me if it's a sin, and I'll speak. I won't speak first, but I'll speak second. And this is really what Jesus is saying. You will die in your sin, and you will look for me, and you will not find me. I will not be found because where I am, you are not coming. Now, that is pretty amazing. 
That is pretty amazing because in my mind, I suppose because I've read this before, maybe I have a sanctified mind, I don't know. But I think, oh, Jesus is going to heaven and I can't go. It's too clean place. It's too perfect place. They wouldn't let me in. I'm a sinner. I can't go. But these people did not have that thought. These people did not think like that. These people thought they were going to heaven. And if Jesus said that I'm going somewhere you can't go, the only place they could even imagine that he would go was to hell. Because if you're going to a place where I can't find you, then you must be going to hell because I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. And that's what these people thought. When you look, when you stop, when you stop and you actually stop at a verse and look at the word and think, what does it mean that God used this word to tell me something? So when you, when you read your Bible and you often will read a whole chapter or you read a whole section and you think about the, the ideas that God is conveying, a sermon sometimes stops you in your tracks because you couldn't go that fast. It's not impossible. It's impossible to take a whole chapter 8 of, and preach a whole chapter 8. There's no way you couldn't touch it. But to stop and say, if they said, I can't find you, so that look at verse 22, that's what they're saying. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he saith, where I go, you cannot come. That's the only thing that occurred to them. He must commit, he's going to commit suicide because that was the sure way of going to hell. For suicide meant that, that you despaired against God and that there's no grace and that you sent yourself to the depth of hell. That was what the Jews thought. That's what they thought. So the only way that he could be somewhere they could not find him because they were all going to heaven in their mind was for him to kill himself. If they killed himself, it secured him of going to hell and maybe that's the way he's going to get away from us. Because we're going to hunt you forever. I was in the mind. Can you imagine? Can you imagine these wicked people, so wicked that they thought that Jesus must have to go to hell in order to get away from them because they were so good that they were going to heaven? That's self-righteousness. So how do, how do you die in your sins? That's the number one. That's the number one. The idea that I'm good or that I can somehow earn my good or I can be good enough that God will look at my scales and my scales are bending more in one direction than another and then I'm fine. That's the self-deception that will lead most people to hell. It's not the flagrant. It's not the dramatic. It's not, it's not the poor Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not the poor drug dealers who are all just evil and, and deserve what they get but they're all caught up like flies in flypaper. It's the people who think that Jesus must have to go to hell because I'm going to heaven. That is, that's harsh and, and it, it's unforgivable. This is Psalm 14. The Lord looked down from heaven and upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that seek God. And they, were, they were gone aside. They were all together become filthy. There was none that doeth good, no, not one. These are the Pharisees. These are the ones who know it all. This is the ones who know what righteous is. They were professional righteous people. Matthew 5. We just read this the other day in our Bible study. For I say to you, except that your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
that you have to be better than the people better than you. That's what Peter said. I'll, I'll steal that for the rest of my life. You have to be better than the people better than you, or there is no entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So when you see Matthew 20, now it's interesting that in John 8, this is as much as, as we find of it. We do not have whole chapters where Jesus is lambasting the Pharisees. Because the, the sermon title that I picked is from the verse that says, I have much to say of you and much to judge of you in verse 26. I have much to say, many things to say, and to judge of you. Well, there is much that Jesus says. All of 23 is just, he's lambasting the Pharisees. There, it's, a, it's a chapter of woe where there's seven woes where he's condemning them once, condemning them twice, condemning them three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. And they have to take it because when Jesus has much to say, you have to sit and take it. You can't decide, oh, I'm going somewhere else. I'm changing this channel. You don't get to decide. When God wants to speak, he will speak. And Jesus here says, I have much to say. So in Matthew 23, just, just a little bit, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, clean first that's what is in the cup, and that outside of them will be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outside, but are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, are outwardly appear righteous to men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. The, the Jewish religion sought, sought to have their own righteousness. That's why it was apostate. They, they did not understand God's righteousness. This is from Romans 10. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Because they didn't understand what righteousness meant, they thought they were fine. Right? Remember the, the Dunning-Kruger effect? The less I know about a subject, the more I think I'm okay. That's the idea. The less I understand about God's righteousness and what righteousness means, I think I'm okay. I think I'm pretty okay. I'm, probably, I'm better than some people I know. And you, so you feel that that's, that is the blindness. That's a self-blinding thing. So 23, why are they going to die in their sins? They're self-righteous. And they proved it with their question in 22. Let's look at 23. He said unto them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are from this world. I am not of this world. Now that's, that's interesting. They, they proved in 22 why they're they going to die in their sins. They're going to die in their sins because of their self-righteousness. But why else? They're worldlings. Jesus said, I'm not from this world. You're from this world and everything that makes this world this world. When you look at this world, it's everywhere in the Bible that there's something about the system of the way this world works that's anti-God. It's anti-Christ that the way this world works and the things this world rewards with and the things this world uh, appeals with, those things are as flipped upside down of what God is. It's like the backwards world on Batman, okay? Bizarro world or whatever it was from the comic books. They're part of this world. First John, how many times he mentions this? This is over and over. I could have picked 10 different passages that he said this in his letters. This is from chapter 2. Love not the world, 
neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. So there's something about the way the world works. And what that is, is whatever is setting itself up against God. That's what the world is. That's the system of the world. The devil that wants to rise up to the heights of the, of the throne of God. That is the, the God of this world. And so the system of the world is anything like that. Your father, the devil, Jesus will tell these men later. This is from 2 Corinthians 10. It doesn't say the world here, but this is the, this is the system. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is what a godly person does. A godly person lives in this world, and as all of that's floating around in your face, these things that are against God, that will all seem very nice and all very upstanding and nice people do, and this is not the the riffraff that do. This is the way the world works. You are then to take every thought captive and then say, what is it that you're teaching me? What is it that you're showing me? What is it that you're requiring of me? And as you take it captive, you then compare it to God Almighty. Is this a thought that I should accept or reject? And a Christian rejects those things that are in the world in such a way that you simply just say, life, life, life. Remember Christian going through the going through the, the road and the, the lions were on both sides, he just put, he stopped his ears and he said, life, 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 I'm going to life. You do not look at the way the world is enticing you with its baubles that will perish. You instead realize that Jesus said the world hates you because it hates me. And not only that, Jesus said the world will rejoice when they kill me. The world will rejoice. You will mourn. But the world will rejoice. The world is Antichrist. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And that is what the world is. That's all of it. That's the American dream. That's the Martha Stewart Thanksgiving that all of you thought you could possibly have. And then you giggle and just say, oh, come on, just sit down. Let's have some food. Okay? It doesn't exist, really. It's a deception. It's an illusion. It's something that we are told that we want not realizing that God has better things for us. It's the, it's the world. That's why, that's why they're going to die in their sins. The world is in darkness. That's what he said. If, if you follow me, you will have the light of life. But if you don't follow me, you will remain in darkness because the God of this world has blinded you to the face of Jesus Christ that has the gospel in it. That's what it said. This is 24. I said unto you, therefore, you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. How do you, how do you die in your sins? You decide that you will not believe. You will not believe. Though, though the evidence is piled to the moon, you decide that you will not believe. And that's why, that's why going back to Psalm 95, I did a double whammy on you. You thought it was a Thanksgiving psalm, didn't you? Because coming to the Lord's presence with Thanksgiving, and then all of a sudden, you're, it switches on you. 
and says, if you hear God's voice today, do not harden your heart like in the days of the provocation and in the days of the temptation when I looked at an entire generation and saw no faith and said, they will not enter into my rest. And all the adults over 20 years old, not one of them went into the promised land. And they wandered in the wilderness 40 years. Why? Because it takes 40 years for people over 20 to die. That's why. And when that last carcass fell in the desert, then they were at the Jordan River. And Joshua led the children that were going to be captives of all of those people. Instead of taking the land like God had said, these children then went in. Because God says, I can take you all the way. So if you hear the voice, if you hear it, do not harden your heart against it. The unbelief in these people who had decided what they already had decided, that is going to lead them to die in their sins. It was the, the idea that they would not listen and look. They had no eyes to see and no ears to hear. We're now in 25. Then they say unto him, who are you? Now, King James makes it sound so much better. Who art thou? Do you understand what they said? Who are you to say that we're going to die in our sins? Do you see the snark, the arrogance, the in-your-face, the sass? Who are you? They know who he is. They know what he's claimed. Anybody that's read the book of John from chapter 4 to chapter 8 knows exactly that this is God who's claiming to be God. This is God. This is not anything else. They're not in any way, they know what he's claiming. He's claiming to be God. This is what they're saying. Who are you to say that we're going to die in our sins? Who are you? So they're self-deceived. They're self-sufficient. They're defiant. They're in your face. They're in your face. This is Proverbs 3. Surely he scorns the scorners. He mocks the mockers. Surely he scorns the scorners, but he gives grace to the lowly. Memory verse. Another memory verse, James 4. But he gives more grace. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He resists you. If you are going to be defiant in his face, he resists you. There's no resisting God. There isn't. You, that's like the dust resisting the rag. It doesn't work. You're, like, you're going to be mowed down by God. You don't resist him. You don't say no to him. You say no to him at your own folly and peril. But he gives grace to the lowly. He gives grace to the humble. And this is 26. I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he heard, uh, he that sent me is true. And I speak these words to them that I have heard of him. They understood that not that he spoke of the Father. Even now, they're clueless. He said, it does not matter. I have much to judge of you. I have much to say to you. And God's, God is in perfect agreement with me. I'm not speaking in any way that's not outside of his opinion. When I speak, it's God's opinion. When I speak of your fake religion, your apostate religion, your works religion, when I speak of it and you shudder because it sounds like blasphemy to you, I'm telling you what God thinks of you. This is the assessment of your king to you when you're supposedly serving him. And he just speaks woe upon woe upon woe upon woe to, the, to them. This is 28. Then said Jesus to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, 
Then you shall know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. I always do the things that please him. Then you shall know. When you lift me up. Now, he was lifted up on a cross. When you lift me up, then you'll know. You will know. But it'll be too late. I will mock you, says wisdom in the streets, because it's too late. You will certainly know that you miss the day of your visitation. Jesus speaking over Jerusalem, weeping, and how awful it will be. There's not a stone upon a stone, but you missed the day of your visitation. That's as sad as it can be. The cross is the center of the preaching of the gospel. It is, it's then that you know. It's the cross is, it's the cross that is revealing. It's the cross of the gospel that reveals who Jesus Christ is. It's the trumpet that allows you to know it, that calls your attention to it, and then causes you to know it. And the gospel has to have the cross in it so that I can do it before I die. Before it's too late, I need to, to respond to the gospel in life, that I might follow Jesus and walk in light. It's the gospel that before I'm mocked by the holy God, that says you deserve your damnation. Before that happens, I can look into the gospel and see the face of my Jesus that I nailed to the cross. Then I can change. Then I can repent. And that repentance is life. It's life. It's a rushing water of life that comes rushing down upon you. It's the preaching of the cross that is foolishness. Foolishness. The idea that we would gather in a cathedral of marble painted gold and realize that what we're really doing is doing the, is the is preaching the cross i promise you that if the the most gaudy cathedral on planet earth preached the cross then god is well pleased i don't care but if the if I, we met under a blue tarp to keep the rain off us and that's all we met on earth and you preach the cross it's pleasing to God. A church is people changed who then radiate outward to the people not yet changed while it's still time, while it's today. That is what the cross is. The preaching is foolishness, but unto us it's the power of God, he tells the Corinthians. This is chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians. Brothers, when I came to you, I came not in excellency of speech and wisdom, I didn't try to be so beautiful in how I talked. I didn't talk good. It wasn't about talking. It's about power. Have you been changed by God? Then that's power. That's power. Un, un, you can't say anything against it. You know that you've been changed, so you speak with power. And your simple speech, even at the point of a gun, is going to be powerful. In the tearing down of strongholds, God said. In the tearing down of the, the antichristical universe that is around us. Simply you're by the blood of the Lamb and the power of your testimony that God changed me when I dipped myself seven times in that dirty Jordan River. That's all it is. 
and people will be stopped in their tracks because the Holy Spirit will stop them in their tracks. And the Holy Spirit of God will say, it's true. And you are, God cannot be avoided. There's, it's irresistible. When the grace of God comes upon you, you know you're a sinner and you will fall at his feet and beg for mercy and then he will save you. That is what it is. These poor, awful, wicked men that died in their sins. But look at 30. Aren't you glad? Look at 30. He's not just preaching to these men that will die in their sins. He's preaching to thousands. And in his preaching, in this distressing sermon that nobody would give an A in a sermon class, not one person would give Jesus an A on this. It doesn't do anything except lambast the wicked. And in verse 30 it says, And as he spoke these words, many believed on him. Among the crowd, people were coming to him in the thousands. People were coming to him. Their eyes opened, recognizing that they've offended God and that this is the way that they are to come to have mercy. Jesus has said, if you follow me, you have the light of life. You will no longer walk in the darkness. Let that be true of us. God, let that be true of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.